0: Hey guys, I've got something special for you today. It's a new podcast I've been binging called Lost Hills, and I think you're really going to love it. Lost Hills tells the story of a murder in idyllic Malibu, California. The horrifying story of a man shot in the head in 2018 while he was camping with his young daughters. After his death, the local cops followed a crumb trail of clues and arrest a survivalist that they find camping in those same woods. And that's when things get complicated. Lost Hills is a shocking mystery that uncovers the dark truth, and you're not going to be able to stop listening. I'm going to share it with you, but really just go subscribe right now. Okay, here's the first episode. Pushkin. Hello, folks, and welcome to another Winter Grocery Report presented by Stop and Shop. This just in, soup is a great way to warm up on extra cold days. That's why we have all the fresh produce and canned goods you need to make your very own at home. Just pop by our store or order the ingredients for delivery or pickup from stopandshop.com.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Tamika D. Mallory and my son, the General. Yes, sir. And we are street politicians. Yes, us. Find us every Wednesday breaking down the social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics. Listen to street politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find street politicians on the iHeartRadio app and wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
2: Presented by AT&T. Now every customer, both new and existing, get the same great deal on the best devices. Mountain lions do their hunting in the dark, after dusk, and in the early morning hours, right before the sun comes up. The hills above Malibu, California, are full of them. They're vicious predators, but they're so shy that the wildlife biologists who study them call them ghost cats. If you hike in the hills surrounding Malibu, you probably haven't seen a mountain lion. But one has almost certainly seen you. Hemmed in by freeways and an ever-expanding suburbia, the mountain lions are stressed, half-crazy. A few years ago, I wrote a story about them for The New Yorker, where I work. The people in Malibu were really upset, especially about a rogue lion known as P-45, which was slaughtering pet alpacas and mini-horses, seemingly for sport. There was a huge debate over who was to blame for these deaths—a murderous lion, or the people who had left their pets, unprotected, in lion country. One morning, I went out searching for evidence of lions in the mountains near Malibu Creek State Park. I was with one of the wildlife biologists, and we were in a tangle of branches and bushes, looking at a dried-out deer carcass, a month-old lion kill. This question just popped into my head. So I asked him, Hey, you ever find a dead body out here? He turned and looked at me so strangely. He was going to stick to talking about lions. No comment on what humans might do in these hills. In my 15 years living in Los Angeles, I've logged a decent amount of time in Malibu Sometimes reporting, but mostly just taking my kids for afternoons at the beach. You know Malibu. It's paradise. The ocean, the mountains, the honey-colored light. Celebrities and surf bums and laid-back billionaires. People with prayer beads and private security. It's like a postcard, of itself. The real Gidget is a hostess at a local restaurant. And you could easily run into Kim Kardashian at the sushi bar. But often in Malibu, I get this unsettling sensation that there's something else there underneath that pretty surface. Something elusive and slightly menacing, a riptide, an undertow. And I can never quite shake the feeling that the place is warning me to go away. Here's what I know when I start all this. It's not a lot. It was before sunrise, June 22, 2018, and the campground at Malibu Creek State Park was packed. It's an idyllic spot. Campsites are arranged in a ring around a large meadow dotted with oak trees, jagged peaks zigzag across the open sky. It was four in the morning, still dark, Everyone was inside their nylon tents and RVs, cozy in their sleeping bags for a couple more hours. But someone was awake, watching, silent, undetected, slipping shadow-like around the sleeping campground. He had a gun, and he fired it directly into one family's tent. Inside the tent was a man named Tristan Baudet, a brilliant young research scientist, 35 years old. He was sleeping beside his two little girls. The bullet struck his forehead, killing him. And whoever did it, slipped away into the darkness. It's like a story that's meant to terrify you, playing on your deepest fears, A story you'd tell around a campfire, with ghosts and murderers and things you can't explain. Except that this story is true. And once I heard it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. How did this happen? How does anything like this happen? In Malibu, of all places. But it did happen in Malibu. And as I'd come to find out, inexplicable, nightmarish things happen in Malibu all the time.
3: Tonight, a mystery in Malibu. The driver found a man
0: dead in a ditch along Los Virgines Canyon Road.
3: There have also been nine additional calls
2: for shots fired. It was
0: boom, boom, boom.
2: I just don't feel safe anymore.
3: Breaking now, a homicide investigation. We do have a nude body, and it's still unclear exactly how it got here.
4: It is a suspicious death. The human bones were just a half mile from the trailhead. We could possibly hear somebody screaming for help.
0: Detectives and I trying to figure out who he is and who killed him.
1: I'll tell you what, they'll be standing with pitchforks outside Lost Hills Sheriff's Department. I said to her, I, I hollered down, are you all right? And she said, I'm just resting or something like that. Once she left, she just disappeared.
2: I'm Dana Goodyear, and this is Lost Hills Episode 1, The Killing Zone. Would you guys um, start by just saying your names and what your relationship is to Tristan?
3: My name is Scott McCurdy. I'm Tristan's brother-in-law, and this is my wife.
2: My name is Pamela Wu. Um, I'm Tristan's sister-in-law and married to Scott McCurdy. I want to talk to Scott because he was with Tristan on the camping trip. He was in the next tent over with his own young boys. He's the closest person to the story. Tristan's little girls were two and four. The younger one could barely talk. Scott is the closest thing to a witness.
3: Tristan always has this bucket list of things that he wants to do. And camping in Malibu State Park was on the bucket list. Years ago, before we had kids, he and I went up to Malibu Creek State Park and... He and I always wanted to go back and camp there.
2: Scott tells me that Tristan, his wife Erica, and their kids were about to move from Orange County up to the Bay Area.
3: I feel like he knew that I was a little bit sad that he was going to be leaving Southern California.
2: Erica is an OBGYN and had a medical exam to study for. So Tristan proposed a trip, something he and Scott had been wanting to do for a long time. Camping. Just the dads, with the kids, in Malibu Creek State Park.
3: And he wanted to have kind of, you know, one last camping trip while he was down here. And we were all together. And so it was it was meant to be this bonding, really fun experience.
2: They caravaned up to Malibu.
3: We're driving up and we pull in and Tristan was first. And, and we pass the, the ranger booth where you get your site. And I follow Tristan in. And we're, we, we go down the long winding road and he makes a wrong turn and off the asphalt road onto this gravel dirt road, which later he commented he was so excited that he got to take his forester off-roading. Uh, he was such a funny dude.
2: The campground is basically a large oak meadow. There's a one-way asphalt road that goes around it, with campsites offset on either side.
3: You know, we found our campsite, We got the kids out and we all walked around and the campsite was, was a little bit angled. And so Tristan really didn't like it because, uh, you know, there wasn't a good spot to pitch the tent where you wouldn't be leaning one way or the other. And so it just wasn't, wasn't the ideal campsite. So we decided, and we were early enough, not all the sites were full that we decided we'd, you know, one of us would go back and, and bargain with the uh, rangers to get another site.
2: They moved to a different spot, Site 49, in a nice flat area on the northern end of the meadow. And then they noticed that the guy in the next site over was leaving. They asked him if they could use his site, too. Spread out a little.
3: He said, sure, no problem.
2: Tristan set up his tent there, in Site 51. Then he and Scott and all the kids spent the day at Surfrider Beach, that famous stretch along Pacific Coast Highway, right by the Malibu Pier. At the end of the day, they headed back to the park and got ready for a night around the campfire. Scott says that Tristan could be counted on to bring delicious food and pre-mixed cocktails when they camped. He was the kind of person who optimized everything. And so did you and Tristan get to stay up drinking Manhattans or something out of a flask after the kids finally went to bed?
3: Tristan had uh, pre-mixed Manhattans for for that trip. Um that last conversation we had, we, you know, we stayed up and we were just, we talking about families for hours and hours. And, um, and I told him how much I was going to miss him. I'm like, I kind of guilted him a little bit. Like, you know, well, we had a good run, buddy. You know, (laughs) we had a good run. I'm going to, I'll miss you. You know? I remember at the end of the night, we decided, you know, okay, well, it's, it's late. Let's go to bed. It was probably, I don't know. I don't know what time it was. Maybe it was one o'clock or something. I'm not sure. And, you know, we put out the campfire and, you know, we, I gave him a big hug and, you know, I told him I loved him and I told him, I did, t- I told him again that I was going to miss him. And it makes me sad, but so happy at the same time because at least I got that.
2: A few hours later, Scott says, he was awakened by a loud noise, like fireworks, and the sound of one of his nieces crying. He couldn't figure out why Tristan wasn't helping her. He knew that something must be wrong. He got up, leaving his own young children, and hurried over to Tristan's tent. He opened the flap. In the dark, he could see the girls kneeling beside their dad. One of them kept saying, wet, wet. He dug around for a phone, and when he found it, used it as a flashlight. He rolled Tristan over and saw that his face was drenched in blood. The girls were kneeling in a pool of it. That's what was wet. He pulled the girls out of the tent into the chilly early morning air, and began to scream for help. I've never investigated a murder before, but I'm assuming the autopsy will be filled with information—you know, leads I can follow that will get me started in the right direction. When the coroner releases it, I scour it for details— At the time of his death, it says, Tristan Beaudet was wearing a gray t-shirt, blue shorts, and white socks. His face was unshaven. He had a little alcohol in his system, probably the Manhattans, and a little THC. Above his right eye, just below the hairline, but pretty close to dead center, was an oval hole where a full copper-jacketed lead bullet had entered, piercing his brain. That bullet was excavated from his right shoulder blade. Included with the autopsy is something called a GSR data sheet. It stands for Gunshot Residue. I had to look that up. The box for homicide is checked. But everything else about Tristan Beaudet's case and how he died can only be learned from the omissions, gaps in the narrative of facts. The weapon is described as outstanding. Make and model, unknown. Ammunition brand and caliber, Unknown. Number of shots fired is left blank. How did the injury occur? The autopsy simply, opaquely says, shot by another. When Tristan Baudet was killed, rumors started flying around Malibu. Baudet worked at a pharmaceutical company and had published research on vaccines. Probably he'd been targeted assassinated by Big Pharma or the government. Or the perpetrator was a disgruntled park worker, possibly ex-military. Or maybe it had something to do with the illegal marijuana grows that everyone knows are a problem in Malibu Creek State Park. But what Scott says, that they moved spots twice and ended up in a third spot, given by a nameless stranger, it just makes me think about how random the killing was. Scott was there... He was with Tristan the whole time, right up until they zipped into their separate tents. And he's baffled.
3: For me, and I think for Tristan, campgrounds were a sanctuary. They were a place that you could go and you could let your guard down a little bit. The kids could play. You'd have fun setting up your camp and making dinner and just hanging out with the people you love.
2: Do you think about Malibu differently now?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely do. I mean, I think you've got just this, this really great spot in the world where you should be able to go and enjoy nature, and you just don't think that in a place so beautiful that you're going to experience something so evil.
2: When I think about what happened to Tristan Baudet, I always think about the thin wall of his tent— he probably felt so safe, nestled in beside his girls. He trusted nature. He wasn't scared. He had no idea what was out there, or how vulnerable he was.
3: Going camping anywhere, um, something could happen. You know, there could be, there could be a bear, there could be a mountain lion. Those are kind of inherent risks in nature that, you know, they could be present and. You know, if it happens, you know, if if there's if there's a bear, you know, it's the idea of that is really scary, right? But usually when there's something like that, I mean it's posted. You know, you know what you know that there's there are predators out there lurking. And so you maybe you keep your kids a little bit closer and you keep your kids a little bit safer that day.
2: But you would never go to a campground where there was a known human predator.
3: No. No one would ever do that. We did not know that there was this danger at this park. And had we known, we would never have put our children in danger. Never.
2: It was only after Tristan's death that he and everyone in Malibu found out there was a real danger people were being targeted in Malibu Creek State Park. Law enforcement knew, and Tristan Baudette was not the first victim.
4: At Stop and Shop, we know that when you live in the Northeast, you're well-versed in winter. There's the pre-blizzard hauls of fridge and pantry staples. Let's get this bread. The double batches of hearty meals to make your weeknights easier. Dinner's ready. And the endless cups of cocoa to warm you up after a day of playing in the snow. But what you might not know is that this year, you can order your groceries online for pickup or get them delivered to your door. Delivery! Which means you can stay warm and stocked up all winter long with Stop and Shop. Okay, time to set up this year's Easter egg hunt. Let me run through my checklist. Go to Stop and Shop to grab candy for the kids' baskets? Yep. Hide the tie-dyed eggs from last weekend's Crafternoon? Pretty sure my hiding spots this year are better than ever. Fun clues to help the kids find everything? Almost done with those.
0: Don't forget, I just put that ham in the oven and some fresh asparagus on the stove to enjoy after the hunt is over.
4: Sounds delicious. Looks like we're all set for a fantastic Easter. Celebrate Easter with everything you need from Stop and Shop.
2: From 2016 to 2018, there was a series of shootings in and around Malibu Creek State Park. One person was injured, but no one died. These were near misses, six of them. I'm a 1,000 feet above Malibu in a helicopter with Tui Wright, a retired sergeant detective from Lost Hills Station. That's a small outpost of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, and it covers law enforcement for this whole area, from coastal Malibu to Calabasas and the miles and miles of wilderness in between.
1: It's a beautiful area. It's a wild area with some rugged terrain. The sunsets are beautiful. Out there is point doom.
2: Over by the beach, I can see a line of houses, shoulder to shoulder on the sand. They look like toys from here. It's some of the most expensive real estate in the world.
1: You can see down there, that's Malibu Colony, that little peninsula of uh, homes there. Uh, Quite a few rich and famous folks live there.
2: We head inland, over the mountains, following Malibu Canyon Road.
1: This is Malibu uh, Canyon going in here. The, The highway goes along the canyon.
2: It's a major road connecting the beach and the valley. Something like 20,000 cars travel on it every day.
1: Over in here is uh, some of the areas where like, the Kardashians live and all of that kind of area.
2: And there's Malibu Creek State Park. It's wild and pristine. Volcanic rocks, oak savannas, undulating grasslands. If you remember the opening sequence to the 1970s TV show MASH, where the helicopter flies past craggy green peaks... That's Malibu Creek State Park. But Sergeant Toohey Wright sees something different. He sees the killing zone.
1: Dana, I'm thinking, you might just to keep it simple, we might start with the um, shootings and then move to the burglaries and then move to the capture, since it happened that way, and and the capture route and the camp. Does that sound okay to you? That sounds like a great sequence.
2: Sergeant Wright was in charge of search and rescue, finding hikers lost in the mountains below. His knowledge of this terrain put him right in the center of the investigation into Tristan Baudet's death and everything that happened before and after it. Sergeant Wright asks the pilot, Pete, to take a lap over the
1: park. Uh, Pete, maybe uh, a left bank there, and we'll go back over uh, towards Tapia.
2: Below us is a picnic spot. Tapia Park, at the edge of Malibu Creek State Park. That's where, in November two thousand sixteen, a backpacker named Jimmy Rogers was shot, hurt but not killed, while sleeping in a hammock slung between two trees. Near miss number one.
1: Over here in the in the park, down in the campground, there is where um, the next two incidents occurred.
2: Less than a week later and about a mile away, in the campground where Baudette was later killed, a man was shot at while inside his camper. Near miss number two. Two months later, in January 2017, there was another shooting in the same campground, this time at a couple sleeping in their car. Near miss number three.
1: Let's talk about the highway shootings.
2: Then, In the summer of 2017, the targets seemed to change, to moving cars driving along the Canyon Road. In the span of a few weeks, first a white Porsche and then a white BMW were hit with gunfire. Near misses four and five. Below us, on the park side of the Canyon Road, there's a hill, well concealed by bushes and trees.
1: You can see the hill And the brush and the canopy trees come right up to the edge of the uh, highway? Yep.
2: Sergeant Wright's theory is that a shooter lay in wait, firing on approaching cars.
1: It's a good elevated position where you have immediate cover and an an immediate escape direction.
2: The shootings in the park and on the canyon road were totally bizarre events. Rhymes with no reason. They all happened at the same time, around 3, 4 a.m., Each one involved a single shot. But after near-miss number five, things went quiet. Eleven months passed without another shooting. Until June 18th, 2018. Early that morning, around 4 a.m., in the same area, a Tesla, a white one, was hit in the hood. Near-miss number six. Even then, after 20 months of unsolved shootings, law enforcement didn't alert the public. The sheriff's department stayed silent, and so did California State Parks. There was no press conference, nothing was posted at the park, no information-wanted flyer, not even a suggestion to remain vigilant. And four days after the Tesla was shot, Tristan Baudette was killed in the campground. When you got the call that there had been a shooting at the campground, yes. it wasn't out of the blue for you. I'm just putting myself in your shoes and thinking you must have had a sinking feeling because there had been a series of incidents leading up to that moment.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that is true. Uh, and this yeah. was our greatest fear that uh, this was a serial shooter and that uh, eventually he would hit somebody and or kill them. He'd already hit somebody in the beginning.
2: So he's saying that, privately, law enforcement worried there was a potential serial killer at large. They thought he was looking for victims, and that Malibu Creek State Park and the Canyon Road were his hunting ground. While millions of people, oblivious of the danger, continued to visit the trails, spend the night in the campground, and travel on the canyon road. Even me. I took my kids to Malibu Creek State Park in early 2018. We walked the three-mile loop to the rock pool. It's a famous swimming spot. And we checked out the teenagers jumping from the ledges. We talked about camping in the campground when it got warm enough. It's hard not to look back and wonder, what if we had... After the Beaudet murder, the earlier victims, the near-misses, went to the media. There was an outcry in Malibu as people began to panic about the canyon shooter. The campground was temporarily closed, but though no one was in custody, the rest of the park remained open, and there was still no sign posted about anything that had transpired there. Then, about a month after the murder... There was a rash of mysterious burglaries from commercial buildings near the periphery of the park.
1: You want to talk about the burglaries? Sure. Okay.
2: Scroungy, desperate stuff. Not laptops or cell phones, but sandwiches from the fridge. seized candy. Cinnamon rolls. Junk food from the front of a vending machine, smashed out with a rock. A couple of these places had video surveillance, and a guy was caught on camera. Masked and wearing a headlamp with a backpack and what appeared to be a rifle sticking out of it.
1: Uh, the next place we're going to go to is called the Calabasas Recreation Center. It just so happens to be directly next door to Malibu Lost Tools Sheriff Station.
2: The area where all these crimes took place is essentially the backyard of the sheriff Station. And one burglary, the last one, was literally next door. So he came within, what would you say,
1: 100 yards of the sheriff's station? I would say maybe even closer uh, to the parking lot.
2: Sergeant Wright says he followed boot prints from the rec center's parking lot up into the dusty, desolate hills behind the sheriff's station.
1: Do you see that big oak tree down at the bottom? Yep.
2: We're looking at a fold in the hills where a gnarled oak clings to the side of a steep slope.
1: The one furthest back towards the hill, the big one? Yep. I figured there was a camp here.
2: Following Sergeant Wright's hunch, half a dozen sheriff's deputies returned to the site of the last boot print. As they trudged up and down hills in the bright sun, the only sound was a sheriff's department helicopter chuffing in the distance. But then, a deputy heard a strange clanging noise. Echoing through the canyon. It seemed to be coming from a ridge to the west, already steeped in shadow. The deputy dropped to his knee and looked through the optic on his rifle. Zooming in, he saw a man. Saw the whites of his eyes, as he would later testify. Clean-cut, early 40s, wearing all black, and a backpack with a rifle sticking out the top. The deputies jumped him, right outside his camp.
1: Of course, he tried to flee, uh, but deputies were on him real quick, uh, search and rescue and Lost Hills Patrol. Immediately got their guns on him, and at some point he tossed the pack, and you could see the rifle sticking out of the pack.
2: The man with the gun was Anthony Rauda, a loner who'd been living in the hills on and off for years. The cops celebrated. Was the mystery of the canyon shooter all wrapped up? Sergeant Wright, who helped track Rauta to his camp, admits that it all seems a little neat. The drifter living behind the station, hiding in plain view, that guy's responsible for what may be the most violent crime wave in Malibu history?
1: I would think it would take some nerve to commit a burglary direct uh, next door to the station. I mean, why would somebody commit a murder and then hold on to the same weapon and then do burglaries on videotape and making no, very little effort to hide other than putting a mask on part of your face? There's an assumption that most criminals would think if their picture was captured on camera with a weapon that there's going to be a heightened law enforcement effort to engage them, and that's exactly what happened.
4: Hey, hon, it's snowing. Did you end up running to the store?
0: Nope. I ordered grocery delivery from Stop and Shop instead.
4: Oh, nice. That's new. What'd you get?
0: Oh, you know, ingredients to try to make that takeout dish you love, uh, baking supplies for some cookie decorating with the kids, and giant marshmallows to make crazy cups of cocoa later.
4: Okay, being snowed in just got a lot more exciting. This winter, find plenty of ways to shake that stuck-inside feeling with Stop and Shop.
0: All right, kids, gather around. Here are the details for this year's Easter Egg Dye Extravaganza. I got some eggs from Stop and Shop, put them on the counter. Looks like they're just about ready for some color.
4: And I made sure to grab some dye kits and extra decorating supplies so we can all get a little more creative.
0: Nice, I love to see that.
4: Now that we've laid the ground rules, everyone take their places and let's get ready to dye some eggs. Ready to get started? Yay! Get everything you need for a creatively fun Easter at Stop and Shop.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good
0: afternoon. Okay, number four and number five on calendar Anthony Rauta. It's been
2: a long morning five. in a cold courtroom near the county jail in downtown Los Angeles. Anthony Rauta is late for his hearing. Officially, at this stage, the charges have nothing to do with murder. Rauda is in violation of the terms of his post-release community supervision, meaning he's an ex-felon. He hasn't shown up to meet with his probation officer for two years, and he's not supposed to have weapons or ammunition. The deputies who arrested him at his campsite say he had both. Unofficially, though, the charges seem to have everything to do with the killing in Malibu Creek State Park. Only a few hours after Rauta's arrest, the sheriff himself had a press conference at the Hall of Justice. That's department headquarters, downtown. And while they didn't quite say that Rauta was the suspect in the shootings or the murder, it was a big show. The captain of the Major Crimes Bureau, the Lost Hills captain, a top official from California State Parks. And now, Rauta's being held without bail. And there are two plainclothes detectives in the front row of the courtroom— talking loudly about a fishing cabin. One of the detectives has long gray hair and a beard and is wearing shit-kickers and jeans. The other, lean with sunken cheeks, sneers at me when I try to say hello. Later, I'll find out that the lean one is Detective Mark Donnell and that the one with the shit-kickers is a detective named Ty Berry. Complicated guy. A long and twisted history with the sheriff's department. Donald and Barry are both part of the Major Crimes Bureau and worked the Malibu case. Finally, Rauta enters, with a deputy in blue latex gloves gripping his arm, guiding him to his seat. My first impression of Anthony Rauta is he's pale. Library pale, an indoorsman. Not the weather beaten, leather skinned survivalist I'd been expecting. His hair is dark and slicked back in individual lines that look pencil drawn. A little goatee, blue jumpsuit, wrists cuffed behind his back. He's separated from the rest of the courtroom by a plexiglass partition, but he has something he wants to say to the judge.
1: You You're welcome we are, to speak. This would be over
3: defense objection, and I would ask, if anything, could it be no. off the record.
2: That's router's public defender attempting to intervene.
3: No, because I denied the, uh, threat. And so.
2: that's the judge, who looks exceptionally annoyed.
0: I don't give a shit, buddy. I don't give a shit.
3: I want to speak. You don't have a right to speak. I'm yes. going to speak, but... You speak through your attorney. No, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to cooperate with the public defender's office anymore, so that's that's okay. the decision on that one. Yeah.
2: Rowda hurls himself against the plexiglass. You're
3: a piece of shit, bitch. You're a piece of shit, bitch. Shards that, motherfucker.
2: The bailiff calls for help, and a bunch of deputies appear. They kick all the reporters out, but they forget about the microphones that have been placed on a podium at the front of the courtroom. And that's when Rowda tells the judge to go fuck himself.
3: Fuck you and your mamas. I think my client is a little overwrought, having been in custody. And
2: fuck you, You, Honor, you understand that? Fuck you. He seems mad at everyone. The judge, the DA, the bailiff, even his public defender, the one person who wants to help him. Rauta appears desperate, furious, trapped. He's thrashing about in the fluorescent light of this dingy, cold courtroom. He reminds me of the mountain lions hemmed in, stressed out, a dangerous ghost.
4: To
1: us again
2: in session. Several weeks later, when I see Rauda in court, he's undergone a disturbing transformation. He's strapped to a restraint chair, his face covered by a mesh mask to stop him from spitting at the deputies. His head lolls to one side, as if he's under heavy sedation. I notice that the public defender who rauta has been trying to fire is gesturing to me. He wants me to come talk to him in a quiet corner at the back of the courtroom.
3: I got information. Unfortunately, it's all under seal, so I can't really talk to you about it.
2: He's talking about the discovery, yeah. the evidence provided by the sheriff's department about the weapon and ammunition that Raudo was arrested with.
1: I don't think they've got the ballistics or anything like that.
2: In other words, he doesn't think they have enough to charge Raudo with murder.
1: You know, I, I'm not sure what direction you're going in. Checked any other suspects?
2: I don't know any of names to be okay. Okay.
0: okay,
1: because I don't think this kid is the shooter. There's, there's a killer out there, and I don't know. If, I shouldn't even be guessing. I don't know what his family situation was. I don't know if there was any rivals. I don't know if there's anything else. Something wrong. This kid didn't do. He's crazy.
0: There was so much pressure that they had to arrest somebody. They I think they got the crazy guy. They probably wanted him in custody so that they can get the psychiatrist or somebody to talk to him and get incriminating stuff. It's the only thing they can figure because of these nuts. It's unfair.
2: He believes that Route is a sacrificial lamb meant to appease the agitated Malibu community. Anyway, just just between you and
1: me.
2: When Tristan Baudet was killed, shot in Malibu Creek State Park in the hour before dawn, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Then I found out about all the other shootings, too. Now the cops have arrested Anthony Rauta a homeless guy living behind the station. And they seem to want everyone to think that it's all his fault. That he's the perfect bad guy. A single, efficient explanation for everything that's been going on. I don't know what to believe, but I know that's not the whole story. Could Anthony Rauda have committed all these crimes? What was law enforcement doing this whole time? How did Malibu turn into the Killing Zone. (laughs) ¶¶ General Motors sees an all-electric future and a world with zero emissions. A future shaped by a new generation of people who want their vehicles to not only be smart, clean, and safe, but to also be fun, easy, and powerful. And this future will be powered by Ultium, a battery platform with the range, performance, and flexibility that will enable GM to deliver 30 new electric vehicles by 2025, with EVs at a wide range of sizes, shapes, and price points. Learn more about GM's commitment to an all-electric future at gm.com. Everybody in. Finding great candidates to hire can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along. Which is why you should try ZipRecruiter instead. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So while other companies may overwhelm you with applications to sift through, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. See for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com hills. That's ZipRecruiter.com h-i-l-l-s.
0: Intrigued? It's a story with so many twists and turns, you're not going to believe it. You can hear Episode 2 by searching for Lost Hills wherever you're listening right now.